right, cats and kittens, we are back with another special quarantine episode of the BrandoCast. We're all staying at home and through the power and the modern technology of Squadcast, we are able to bring you another high quality show. Today, I am joined by two members of my board of trustees. <laughs> They're actually my biological parents. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they are a couple who are my guardian angels. I should be living with them right now, enjoying yes. cocktails and oh. TV and food. You've heard them before on the Brando cast. Both of them have done it. Now they're doing it together, ladies and gentlemen. Successful writers, comedy minds, my favorite comic talents, Betsy Thomas and Adrian Winner. Okay. Once again, how are you guys doing? Um, We're safe at home. Safe at home. We're Ducky Do. In the neighborhood where Ducky lives. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We just saw Ducky the other day. Uh, was Ducky walking his little dog Herman with yep. his dog thing? Norman. 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 <laughs> Walks Norman. The other dog, the dog that was Yappy, just mysteriously disappeared. I think maybe Ducky killed it. <laughs> <laughs> Is he wearing a mask when he walks with his dog? I haven't seen him with a mask. Yep. Yeah, well, you know, he, he's too rich to care, I guess. <laughs> he's too rich to be contagious. Have you seen Ed? Be- <laughs> have you seen Ed oh, Beggy yeah. Jr.? Okay. Oh, Ed. Ed, Ed, Ed just rode by earlier Ed today. Ed I was sitting in my. I'm sitting right here in my office window, and Ed rode by on his bike wearing a mask. Yeah, thank God. <laughs> Khaki pants. Shorts. Shorts. Oh, yeah, he goes to shorts and. Khaki night. shorts, white gym socks, blue but- button-down shirt. The uniform. <laughs> the uniform. <laughs> Oh, same as my, my God. seventh grade uh, science teacher's uniform. <laughs> well, Mr. Zedro. He loves Zedro. our he loves our rain garden. <laughs> oh, <laughs> nobody else say? in the entire neighborhood knows what it is, and everybody it, it is. Adrian was like, "I'm going to just make a sign and put it out." It says, "It's a fucking rain garden," and the city made us put it in. He's the only person that says. Love your rain garden. I mean, because to the untrained eye, it looks like you just have a mini ditch for no reason in your front yeah. lawn. Not even that mini. It looks like we we put a little tiny, like a, a small pond that we just decided not to fill. That's what it looks like. But to be fair, the city of Los Angeles made you build that that uh, yes. unfilled pond, correct? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yes, that's exactly right. And then a different city of Los Angeles person said, why do you have a pond in your front yard? <laughs> yes. But don't guys, worry, they're handling the COVID thing well. Yeah, no, we, they got it. You guys, now since we're on this squad cast and we can see each other and we're yeah. all in and we're all good friends, so nobody had to prove anything to anybody, I decided just now, my hair's long enough, I'm going to try a top knot. Oh, my God, ladies and gentlemen at home in the theater of your mind, I don't believe that I've ever seen in my 30 years of no. friendship with Betsy Thomas, I do not believe that I've ever seen a top bun situation. She is trying right now. I've gone back to the mustache. Let's get to it because this is this is a special episode of the Brando cast and I want to turn things over to these guys because for the first time, I am going to give control of the show to my dearest friends. Uh, This was an idea that Betsy had many, many months ago after she did the show. And I think it's finally time for me to say, yeah, you guys get to run things today. I have no idea what you guys are going to do. I have no idea what you guys are going to lay on me. So without further ado, the floor is yours. Thank you, Brando. This is in really, I think this is nice. It's a 
kind of metaphor for the COVID thing. You're not in control. We're going to take you on a ride. That doesn't, that's not really what COVID's done, but you know what I'm saying. So as you always tell everybody, take all, uh, all your guests on a ride and we get to know so much about them. We decided we wanted to get to know a little bit more about you, Brando. Okay. So as we, your dear friends, do know everything about you, we feel like there's a part of your life that has been a little bit untapped here on the Brando cast. And that's what were your earliest influences? So today we are doing, Adrian and I are doing our childhood musical influences, songs or albums that influenced us. The, the biggest songs and albums that, that influenced us as children, and these may, may be bands or songs you may or may not know or may or may not like. So here we go. So uh, we're going to go in, we're, and so another thing that the listening audience and you need to know, Brando, is that Adrian and I do not know what each other's songs are. I love it. It's a, it's a surprise for everybody. Okay, so Adrian, why don't you start us off? I think I have the first date. I think I have the earliest song, and that would be from 1966. And the that year before be, I was born? The year before you the were year born. I was born. And I'm positive that it got on your radars very quickly, and it was, or continues to be, the theme from The Monkees. Yes! <laughs> yes! Written in 1966 for a pilot of a television episode, uh, written by Tommy Boyce and Bobby Hart. Those are the two gents that wrote this song. There were two versions recorded originally, one for their first album, the Monkees' first album, that is, and a second shorter version designed to open their television show. Both features vocals by Mickey Dolenz and the entire Monkees lineup. It reached uh, top 10 in Mexico, Japan, Australia, as well as a couple of uh, various um, uh, cover versions, including Wolfgang and Fritzy that do the that do the refrain of the song, Hey, Hey, Bis Du Monkey. <laughs> Okay, Brando. Yes. Did you watch the monkeys? I think I loved the monkeys before I liked the Beatles because they were on television when I was a little tiny kid in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. I think yep. I thought the monkeys were bigger than the Beatles because they had their own show. They were fun. I wanted to be a monkey. I had a favorite monkey. I've said this many, many times before. You can always tell what kind of person they are, uh, someone is by their favorite Beatle or their favorite Ramon or their favorite member of Van Halen. And I think you can tell a lot about someone by their favorite monkey. And mine was Mike Nesmith. The, because of the hat. Because of the hat. And and, and uh, you two, my, uh, be, be, and you two, uh, you two will know this profoundly about your friend Brando. I believe that I tried to perpetrate the Mike Nesmith look in ninth and tenth grade at the Albuquerque Academy by wearing the blue knit cap at all times of the year. I think you've tried to bring it back since. <laughs> Isn't that all that's happening in Echo Park and Silver Lake right now? Yes, but I don't think that they knew that that those kids know specifically that Mike Nesmith was doing that back in the mid-60s. And did, we, did you guys know this? Because I, I, I did a little research. Uh, when they were auditioning, 400 gents came out to... to uh, to attempt to make the monkeys and Mr. Nesmith w attracted their attention early because he had uh, a stocking cap that he threw on evidently as the lore goes to keep his hair out of his eyes just for the audition. 
and oh. the producers wow. enjoyed his sort of uh, laissez-faire kind of um, kind of uh, sense of humor, and they said, "Keep the hat. We love that." That's amazing. Is that your dog? Or- <laughs> can, you hear, can you hear Django in the background? Yes, yes, Here, that's not can- our dog. Can you guys take over the show for about uh, about 13 seconds and talk about maybe do some business that uh, you need to take care of? Some yeah, husband I, and wife I have business. some points. Hold yes, on. I have some points. Okay, I want to make some points about Mike Nesmith, which I can do with him gone. I think here's what I was thinking: Mike Nesmith is kind of the Paul Rudd of the monkeys. Would you say? Mm. Who's uh, your favorite? Would you say that's true? Well, Paul Rudd of the what? What's the band that Paul Rudd's in that's the Monkees? No, he's the Paul Rudd of the Monkees. I mean, he's like in the Monkees. He's the Paul Rudd. Okay, I'm back. Who's the Paul Rudd of the Monkees? Nesmith. Nesmith. Nesmith is the the Paul Rudd of the Monkees. What does that mean? Like the sort of. And he's trying to make me drill down into this like I have a bigger agenda. I don't. It's just a little thing I said. I mean, I'll go with that. I'm not going to fight you. I love that I've come back and you're in a mini fight. I was fighting my dog to get him to shut the fuck up. All right. That's a tremendous, a tremendous first pick because. Also, I, I will say, I, I want to say, I'll make one last point, which is yes. I think that if Oasis will, could get back together, I think Oasis would do an absolutely phenomenal cover of the theme from the monkeys. Oh yeah. That's a good point. They would crush it. I, I think, I think that Liam could pull off uh, pleasant Valley Sunday. I, I think Noel could pull off pleasant Valley Sunday. Question: When you were watching the monkeys in Pittsburgh, yes. Pennsylvania, yes. what what was your TV situation in your house growing up? Did you have one TV? Did you have several? Was it black and white? Was it color? What was happening? Well, these were good days. Uh, so there were a couple televisions in the house. Uh, my father was working as a lawyer in Pittsburgh. We lived in Mount Lebanon, which was a very Tony suburb of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. But we had the one main TV in the living room, and then we had a great basement. We had like all those great Pennsylvania yeah. houses. We had a, a, a basement that was tricked out as a game room and the kids' room, and there was another television down there. Everything was color. But as I've said many times, back then in the 70s, you only had three network. You had ABC, NBC, CBS. You had PBS, and then you had two UHF stations. And I am virtually positive that... Uh, the monkeys were on one of the UHF stations. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like Chicago's 32. I forget what the one in Pittsburgh was, but that's where the monkeys, they were on every single day between Gilligan's Island and Gomer Pyle or Mm -hmm. Hogan Tiro's monkeys. Yeah. Yeah. The best. Um, uh, Let's, uh, let's move on to the next one. Um, Adrian, I don't know what your next year is. My Uh, first year is 1974. Just so you know. Oh, well then you're up because I'm 75. Okay. Oh, all right. All right, Brando, I'm going to take you to 1974. I was eight years old. There's a theme to my to my three things, which is the first the, the first song comes from the first album I was forced to sit and listen to from beginning to end. My sister Emily, I'm eight years old. I remember it clear as day. We're sitting in the study because we had like a little study where we had our TV and we and she was like, you're going to listen to this. I have for those well, people don't know. It's not my show. I had seven older brothers and sisters, so and they were all much older. So my sister in 1974 was 20, and I was eight. So they all my musical influences were music that my brothers and sisters played in the house when I was little. That I had no, and I and I and I had like a I had 45s. I had a little record player, and I remember from the second I was like three, hearing listening to "I Want to Hold Your Hand" and that stuff. But we decided not to use that. I decided to use stuff that really was like when I think about 
the most influential kind of time. So this song I'm choosing is Joni Mitchell raised on robbery. And it's oh. the first oh. it's from court and spark, which is the first album I was forced to sit and listen to. And I ultimately scratched this record because it was an album vinyl. Um, I scratched it. There's a theme to my stuff where I scratched this record and there, and when, once that was discovered, I got yelled at, screamed at, and I lost all record playing um, privileges from my sister. And she took all our albums and she hit them because they used to all be in a, in a regular living room. And then she took it so I couldn't find it because I ruined it because you know what happened. Fully on her side. <laughs> okay. Anyway, Raised on Robbery. I'm going to tell you a little bit about this. Yes. About Joni Mitchell Raised on Robbery. Joni Mitchell is a Canadian singer-songwriter who's received many accolades, including nine Grammy Awards. Released in 1974, Court and Spark is the sixth studio album by Canadian singer-songwriter Mitchell, whom Rolling Stone called one of the greatest songwriters ever. After switching labels in 1972, she began exploring more jazz-influenced melodic ideas by the way of lush pop textures. And on 1974's Court and Spark, which featured the radio hits Help Me and Free Man in Paris, uh, here's a little after the album received four Grammy nominations, including Album of the Year, which Mitchell was the only woman nominated. It's also 111 on Rolling Stone's Greatest Albums of All Time. Here's a little fun fact I found out. Brendan knows this, that I'm from suburb of Detroit, Michigan. After leaving her native Canada, she moved to Detroit with her husband, Chuck Mitchell, in 1965, where she lived until their divorce in 1967. So she was living in Detroit when I was born. Wow. That's amazing. And then she essentially moved to Laurel Canyon, which is about 10 yes. minutes from you right now, after yeah. she got rid of the Mitchell guy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I I didn't know about the Mitchell guy because I only know of the stories of people who fell in love with Joni when she got to Laurel Canyon in the late 60s. And David Crosby was one of the first people to champion her and literally drag her around town and say, this is going to be the next big thing. Let's get her a recording contract. And that the, the Mitchell guy was not part of that equation because I know Crosby was in love with her during that period of time. I, let me also say, I also want to tell you another thing that I discovered when I was looking her up, which was that she evidently played Court and Spark for Bob Dylan. And Johnny Cash. In the but same I really, setting. In this moment, oh, really? In this the same setting. Johnny Cash, but it yeah. said Bob Dylan and said that he fell asleep. <laughs> well, it. the famous story is which that proves more what I'm saying is Bob Dylan's a dick. Go ahead, <laughs> no, no, That's just, Bob that Dylan is, is a dick. Inflammatory for no reason, and now I'm on brain. I'm on Dylan's side. I will. I, I fall asleep to that album too. Well, Johnny Cash tells the story how they were all over at Johnny Cash's place. Uh, uh, when Dylan was recording Nashville Skyline, Joni Mitchell came over the same night. I think Gordon Lightfoot also came over to the house and they all played each other songs that they were working on. And Johnny Cash thinks that that night also Dylan played Lay, Lay, Lay uh, for them on acoustic guitar. So, yeah. And she fell asleep. And, and I would hope so. <laughs> and she I, was like, oh, this is the last good song you're going to make. <laughs> you winner. <laughs> you, just, you just sound ignorant now. Fight, 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 okay. fight, so fight, 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 break up. <laughs> break up. Brando. Break Let's up. get back to Brando. Break up. So, All right. yeah, so Brando, what's your, do you have any relationship with Jody Mitchell? Do you remember when you first heard Jody Mitchell? Because Jody Mitchell is like, 
I feel like I had an older sister who was super in, so I got into that. But otherwise, I feel like you probably next knew Joni Mitchell in college when some girl you were trying to sleep with made you listen to her. Um, yes, that is always <laughs> true. But where Joni Mitchell came in for me as a young dude, uh, I do not have older brothers and sisters, but my Aunt Jeannie and my Aunt Debbie were basically oh. 15 years older than me. They were teenage girls when I was born. They were my first babysitters. And I, the first record collection that I ever remember seeing was their record collection at my grandma's house. And they had, this is what they were listening to. Jo they had Joni Mitchell. They had Stevie Wonder. They had Janice Ian, I remember holding oh, yeah. a Janice Ian record, uh, but this was this me? was their wheelhouse. Getting Judy they were the perfect age for them. Yeah, and Gore and Gordon Lightfoot. They they were not rockers. Um, they were not. Uh, my aunts were not listening to Jethro Tull, Yes, and Led Zeppelin, uh, but they were listening to Joni Mitchell. And my my other relationship with Joni Mitchell is brand new because uh, you after met her. I, I, we've been dating for the <laughs> last seven months, cast. right? Um, that um, you no, her on Laurel Canyon. I after watching the David Crosby documentary a couple months ago, I went, okay, it's time for me to stop being an asshole and listen to Joni Mitchell, and I bought Court and Spark. Oh, you did! I did absolutely. Isn't it so great? Yeah, well, this song "Raised on Robbery." I chose because people know helped me and Free Man in Paris, but Race and Robbery, I remember when I was very young, this has such a pop vibe. And I also remember because I was from Detroit, she's talking about the Maple Leafs on the watching, you know, the Maple Leafs is on the TV in the bar. And I remember thinking that was something I knew because my family was such a big Red Wings house that I was like, that was a thing I recognized. Love it, love it, love it. And, uh, and, but that's why I chose that song. Cause I thought that really kind of embodied because some of that more dramatic stuff was a little harder to get into when you're eight, but God knows my sister was going to jam it down my throat. Oh, you had the they were all hell bent on giving me some sort. Of, I'm sure ants were similar. Well, they you're going to give you musical taste. They were the same age. Your sisters yeah. and my aunts were the same age. So that's just awesome. All right. What do we got next? Um, I think I'm up because we're going to. You're 1975. We're going to go to 1975. I got to go to a movie, I think. And um, <laughs> I also got this album. Uh oh. And it featured the, the song that blew me away was uh, by a, a band called Dr. Teeth and the Electric Bayham, which is, I don't know if you know this band. Oh. Right Do you have any uh, any idea what Dr. Teeth and the Electric... Come on. Muppets? The house band for the Muppets. Hey! <laughs> <laughs> Their song in the Muppet movie kicked all holy ass, and it continues to kick all holy ass today. What's the name of it? It's called Can You Picture That? Uh, I don't know if you remember the scene, but I think Kermit and Fozzie were uh, running from <laughs> Truman Capote or whoever. You <laughs> played, played the bad guy? I don't know. And they and I think they turned down a road or something, and they end up at a church, and the Electric Mayhem is playing, and, the, and while Can You Picture That plays... They disguise Com uh, Kermit and Fozzie's car as like a super psychedelic, tripped out ride. Is this ringing any bells, Brandon? Well, I, I because of my age in 1975, uh, the Muppets were a giant part of my life. I believe that uh, I thought that watching Sesame Street was like going to school. 
Uh, and the what what was the Muppet Show, Betsy? What night was that on? Was that on Saturday nights? Or Saturday Sunday? nights, Saturday? seven. It's seven. Saturday nights, sing at seven. Okay, so Saturday nights at seven o'clock. That was required viewing. The, viewing the Muppet yeah. Show, so yes. fucking colossal. So great. Uh, mm-hmm. As far as my favorite member of the band, there's zero question that it's Animal. Right, Animal. So here's the, the here's the classic uh, Doctor Teeth in the Electric Mayhem lineup. Yes. Um, uh, <laughs> of Dr. Teeth on vocals and keyboard. Right. And he starts, by the way, can you picture that with one of the most kick-ass rock screams of all time? It's like, oh, yeah! <laughs> um, and that's uh, the great Frank Oz, I believe. Yes, well, you sounded uh, like Frank Oz when you did it, so I'm assuming... Animal on drums, Floyd Pepper on bass. Do you remember that groovy guy with the, like, sort of um, Beatles, uh, Sgt. Pepper's jacket? He looked like Skunk Baxter from the Doobie Brothers. Exactly. Janice on guitar. Wild man. That's right. Right. Zoot mm-hmm. on saxophone. And in season <laughs> five of the show, Lips joined the band on trumpet. So Animal Floyd Zoot played in the Muppet Show Pit Band. And Lips uh, occasionally Janice appeared in the orchestra in later episodes. Was yeah. Anna and was that, Rolf was Rolf ever in the band? Why do I no, why Rolf, do I have a Rolf? Uh, Rolf was not in the band. Rolf has his own song in the Muppet movie when Steve Martin is their waiter at that fancy restaurant where they're going to serve the frog flights. Uh, I think I may be getting that all wrong, but Rolf is like sort of a, um, a moody piano player. And I think, he, but he was not in the electric mayhem. Um, guys, I don't know. I want to answer your question, but I don't know who the bad guy was that you're thinking of because I haven't seen the movie in 60 years. So I don't remember, but I'm going to throw out these people could have been that bad guy. Ready? Oh, no. Could it have been Orson Welles? Not Orson Welles. <laughs> Orson Welles in that movie. Yep. Absolutely. That's insane. Keep could going. it have been Charles Durning? Oh, Charles- 100%, 100%. It could have been Charles Durning. Charles Durning is the white clad asshole, I think. Doc Hopper. Yeah. That's right. He hires the guy in the black with the with the um, harpoon gun that scared the living <laughs> shit out of me as a kid. I was okay. like, holy fuck, there's a black-clad leather fucker after Kermit. Okay, and then there's there are huge names in this movie. That then James Coburn, he plays a cafe owner. Mel Brooks, Milton Berle. Wow. I mean, it's incredible. It was Austin Pendleton. He was not the bad guy. No. No, I think Charles Durning was the original, was the was the sort of guy who wanted to get Kermit's legs. Well, that, uh-huh. it's, a tr- it's a tremendous choice. The Muppets were beloved by only, all of us who grew up in the 70s. And I think also my way into insane acts. I mean, I think the first time I heard For What It's Worth was performed on The Muppet Show. Oh, oh by, by, the, by the band? Yeah. Okay. Like, I mean, so what a field day out. for the heat. Harry Belafonte, you know, that was, that was like my, that the Muppet show gave me yeah. musical acts. They, it was like the SNL for kids. And, and now we'll go to this amazing musical act. Betsy, we showed our son, the Julie Andrews um, version from the Muppet show of that sound of music number. He watched that a hundred times as a kid. Remember that? Yeah. The goat, lonely goat herd. And it didn't didn't hurt him. He's doing well. He can, he can, uh, he can chip onto a, a a, a nice putting (laughs) green. You know what? He's got a great drive off the tee. He's doing great. He's 
he's in the salad days. He's he's got the basement with the color TV, Brando, right now. Now, if he's Betsy got get on rails. He's good, but if Betsy skits off to uh, Albuquerque, he's he's gonna be he's gonna be bummed out. <laughs> this the story was not me. This would be if you decide to cheat on me. <laughs> <laughs> And and then I'm going to Albuquerque. <laughs> I'll drive just you guys. To say, just to just to fuck you over. <laughs> you go to Albuquerque. You're bugging no one but yourself over. That is that is uh, that is Betsy's uh, reboot of Alice. Yeah, <laughs> but here's the thing: I would rather go to Albuquerque than Phoenix. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, yeah, yeah. Phoenix is Phoenix is the worst. Albuquerque has has <laughs> way worst. way less MAGA going on in, in Albuquerque than Phoenix. Yeah. Phoenix is Arizona the worst. Arizona as a whole is just fucking terrible. It's yeah. a terrible place. Yeah. Well the, the sorry Arizona. Yeah fans. no no fuck you Arizona the, the desert sun <laughs> the, the desert sun melts your brain. It's it's scientifically proven. You cannot <laughs> You cannot be out. Dr. Brando would tell everybody, if you spend more than five days a year in 120 degree weather, you are legally insane. I agree. You call legally insane. So fuck you, Arizona. My next song is also from 1975. This happens to be a song and an artist I know you know well, but I wanted to bring it up because this was one of the most important songs and albums and seminal of my whole growing up. Because in 1975, this was the disco era, right? This is, and I was nine years old. Uh, This is really, I remember really 10 years old. This is 10 years old when I remember. So it was probably more, when it came on my radar was more like, the album was released in 75, but it came on my radar probably in 76. And the song that I am going to play for you is Thunder Road. Because every day I would sneak into my brother Kurt's room after school while he was at school also, but he was like, had sports or whatever. And I would put this album on secretly and I would lip sync to the entire album, which I then ended up scratching, got caught and got banned from my brother's <laughs> room after he yelled at well, so yeah. There's a theme. On his I know, I know, I know. But this was a, this was a, I, I, my brother was cool. He was super into Springsteen. I didn't know what this was. It was, I couldn't even tell my friends that I liked Springsteen because people wouldn't have understood. It was so not on the pop radar of that age but i loved it and i specifically learned every word to thunder road so now i'm going to tell a little bit about this born to run was released in august 1975 it's the third studio album by Bruce springsteen in his effort to break into the mainstream it was a commercial success peaking at number three on the billboard 200 and eventually selling six million copies. Rolling Stone magazine wrote that Springsteen enhances romanticized American themes with his majestic sound, ideal style of rock and roll, evocative lyrics, and impassioned delivery that defines what is a magnificent album. Quote, it's the drama that counts. The stories Springsteen is telling are nothing new, although though no one has ever told them better or made them matter more. It's ranked number 18 on Rolling Stone's greatest albums of all time. Well, come on. I mean, we 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 have seen Springsteen together. What a year. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Let's take it back cuz we have a modern day Springsteen history together. I'll take you back to Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania because as you guys know Pittsburgh is a giant bar. That's all that it is. And the the main artist on the jukebox in that bar is Bruce Springsteen. And growing up in Pittsburgh in the 70s, 
Bruce because we're not far from Bruce Country. And I define Bruce Country as, you know, let's go Long Island down to the shores of Delaware, the old school Bruce Country. Pittsburgh is just so close to that. And I remember my friends at St. Bernard's in Mount Lebanon, uh, Pennsylvania. I remember the older brothers and sisters being into Springsteen and it filtered down to us. I specifically remember Matt and Mark Oxenreiter. They were the youngest of 12 kids. Their, uh, their, their, their brother, Albie is a huge sportscaster in, um, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania right now, but the Oxenreiter clan had a ton of, uh, uh, boys and girls who love Bruce. That's where I first saw that album cover, uh, I thought the album cover to Born to Run was just super cool. And um, I just, I mean, you guys both know how much I love Bruce to the point where in high school, my main uniform was Navy cords, a thrift store jacket rolled up at the sleeves and a Born to Run t-shirt that I got at the show in Philadelphia on the Born to Run tour. Bruce. Wow. So one thing that also I remember is why I could say, why I could lip sync all the lyric is because that was still for a lot of the young people don't remember this is when you got an album most of the time all the lyrics were printed and they came with the album so you could listen to the album and see all the lyrics it was a part of the joy of the album and also why you would sit and listen to an entire album in one setting as opposed to now which people are just grabbing songs and it's just a mishmash and we've lost that that really important, you know, I'm sure for you, Brando, every time an album came out when you were little, that became hot. Like, would you get an album? What was your ritual when an album would come out as soon as you could remember like getting them? Well, well, you go to Sound Warehouse on the corner of San Mateo and Manal. You buy the record, you get back home, you open it up, you put it on and you read the lyrics as it goes, just as you were saying. And if it's a Kiss record, you fill out the form to join the Kiss Army. Uh, it's if it's Iron Maiden, it's where you learn how to uh, you you learn all the you read those lyrics like it was poetry, right? And then you look it all up in an encyclopedia. Well, that and, yes, and the, and the Kiss album, the lyrics are real short. <laughs> well, you really like my limousine. You like the way the wheels roll. You like my seven-inch leather heels. And go into all the show. I wouldn't know that if I didn't have the lyrics in front of me. Oh, God. It's like haiku. <laughs> Kiss haiku. Yeah, but Bruce, 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 Bruce lyrics for poetry. They all, they read like poetry. I, I think here's we a- talked about this before, Brando, but you've always been, you're the, you're like a music guy and I've always been the lyric guy. Yes. And uh, Bruce is one of those people that sort of, Meld those two because I like the hooks. You like the fun lyrics. Bruce always does both, right? Because you got to have a cool hook. But and as you know, Thunder Road is is one of my top um, top karaoke songs, and it's also the song that I sang the night that I had uh, my legendary one night stand with a fan at the farmers market. I did not know that part. Yes, no. Oh yeah. Uh, the request the request was for me to sing Bruce, so I sang Thunder Road. Uh, she, we exchanged pleasantries at the farmer's market later on that night. I was at a party at our friend, Johnny Galecki's, uh, apartment, which used to be on fountain and Crescent Heights. Uh, that girl showed up at that, uh, that girl, Joni Mitchell, that, that girl's Joni. <laughs> she showed up there, cut to me waking up, cut to me waking up at a guest house at a large mansion in Beverly Hills, which may or may not been owned by one of the guys in Duran Duran. And then cut to me walking back to 
our house where the three of us lived together uh, after that night when we were living up at the very top of Coldwater. Oh, Leon? Uh, at oh, yeah. Leon. Hey, yes. Hey, Brando, what, remember the night that I brought Wenner to the farmer's market? We first started dating and you, you sort of challenged him, not really in a really passive aggressive white guy's way to sing. And so he did, but what did you sing that night? Did you sing born to run? I, uh, if, 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 if I had known that night that Adrian, if, if, if Adrian and I had already bonded over Bruce, there's a very high chance that I did born to run maybe to impress Adrian. Cause I knew you liked him. Maybe I did surrender by cheap trick. Maybe because I think you did a Rolling Stone song and I wouldn't have tried to steal your thunder by doing miss you, which was my other go-to song at the karaoke, uh, at the farmer's market karaoke back then. Adrian, you did honky tonk. I think I did honky tonk. Yes. And but I, you pretended you were Irish. That's right. That's right. But you also, you also, you also, you also said that you did, you were doing the live version. You were doing the praising of it. And you're like, hey, play along. This is the live version or however, whatever you're (laughs) What was the live version from Get Your Yaya's Out or something like that? What was it? No, this is like a weird single my brother found in Europe. I think it's like a, it's like a Paris show because he sings like, it's like a hidden verse where instead of the second verse, he sings about like being on a boulevard in Paris naked and so super crazy, but it's a great, it's a great little hidden verse. It's deep nerd stone stuff. Exactly. Right. Which which you brought to the crowd. Yeah. And let's get out of that then. Not a deep nerd stone stuff. Sorry, hon. No. Let's well, move on to the next one. Although the next one might be deep nerd stone stuff. Yeah. We don't know what Adrian's going to do. No, but the next we're going to go. I think you were left off in 75, correct, huh? I, I left off in 1975. All right. Well, let's go three years. Let's go three years in the future mm-hmm. to a song released in 1978, which sold over a million copies and reached number 17 on the Billboard Hot 100 chart. Can you hold on one second? I just want to know. I want a picture. How old's Brendan Smith in 1970? Just give me a little visual, Brando. Who yeah. are you in 1978? Um, I'm 11. Uh, it's still the good times. The storm is coming. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it's still it's still the good times. I'm popular. St. Bernard's is rolling. I've got a crush on Kelly O'Toole uh, because uh, we. I think we went together in 1979. So uh, life is good. Life is good. I'm in the Kiss Army. The Steelers are the are the number one team on the planet Earth. Let me ask you this, Brando: Are you watching Saturday Saturday Night Live religiously every Saturday? Oh hell yeah! Especially because we were all fans of Mr. Bill. So staying up, and I was allowed to. So staying up for Saturday Night Live was a really really big deal. So you could get to school on Monday. And talk about seeing Mr. Bill, which was always on in the last 15 minutes of the show. Right, right. Well, so April 22nd, you were then watching live when uh, Steve Martin performed King Tut. An homage to Egyptian pharaoh Tutankhamun, presenting a character of the Treasures of Tutankhamun traveling exhibit that toured seven United States cities from 1976 to 1979. The exhibit attracted approximately 8 million visitors, and the Saturday Night, per- the Saturday Night Live performance uh, had loyal subjects appeasing a joyful King Tut with kitchen appliances, and included an instrumental solo delivered by saxophone player Lou Marini, who stepped out of a sarcophagus painted gold to great laughter. And this 
blew my mind as a child because I think the week before I had been taken to that exhibit at the Field Museum. In Chicago. In Chicago. And WLS then played the shit out of King Tut. Oh my God. And ranked it the 11th biggest hit of 1978. What? Uh, Literally on the Billboard charts? No, that's that's WLSAM. Okay. But it did. It got to number seventeen. That's amazing. I get it's. You know, it, it's it's almost impossible to describe for young people, all you youngsters out there. It's almost impossible to describe how massive Steve Martin was at this period of time. Because I had that record. I had uh, what? Let's go crazy. Uh, that was on Wild and Crazy Guy. Right, right, Wild and Crazy Guy, and then Let's Go Crazy. Let's get small. Let's get small. Let's get small. Right, I had right those. I had both those records. He was a for comedy nerds. He was white hot during that period of time. I loved him so much, and King Tut was massive for us. I could be wrong, and this is this is my fault for allowing my father's album collection to get picked through by fuckheads and. Prescott, Arizona, after he died. Yep. But we had a, a single version of King Tut, and I'm almost positive, my brother will correct me, but I, I'm almost positive the B-side to King Tut by Steve Martin was King Tut by Steve Martin. <laughs> <laughs> is that is that a special collectible? Like, was that made in error, or do you think that that's how they pressed it? No, I think that's how they pressed oh, it. Wow. I think he didn't have another song. That's right. Wow, that was, that God Damn, was that big? Uh, we, you know, I thought that Steve Martin was a regular member of the Saturday Night Live cast back then. Yeah, I mean, because he was as good or better than almost all of them, and it was like such a, it was such an event when he was on Saturday Night Live, which he he was twice a year. But oh my God, was that big! I never got to see him live. That I wanted to as a kid. I remember wanting to see him live, wanting to see. Um, Robin Williams live at the exact same time because he was white hot. Uh, but I never Did you I go to any comedy concert. No, I didn't. Um, I, I didn't, I never, the first comedian I saw live was Jay Leno in Albuquerque, New Mexico at the Kiva auditorium downtown. <laughs> and this was before he took over the, the tonight show. We liked him because he was on Letterman all the time. That was the first comic yeah. I saw live. Yeah. I did not. Did you get to see Steve Martin? No, I never did. A, I never did comedy shows either. I mean, that's, I mean, you know, I, I had the influence of like, my dad would drag me to sort of comedic musical acts like the Smothers Brothers. And, but we never, I, I, I didn't, it wasn't even on the radar to go to like a comedy show like that. Right. I went to wrestling. I saw Bruno San Martino uh, uh, wrestle Ken Patera. Uh, and I saw the Samoans wrestle Tony Atlas and uh, Ivan Kutsky. <laughs> And the Pittsburgh City. And who took you to that? Who took you to that? Eddie Zaleski's older brother, Larry. Yep. What was that's <laughs> strong? That's good parenting. WWF. Sure, sure. Go with Larry Zaleski to a wrestling show. Ten year old, you're going to be fine. <laughs> Pittsburgh Civic Arena. What were the brothers, What were the brothers? Seventy style. What were the brothers with twelve fucking kids doing? What, I, I don't remember it? if the Oxen Riders were were Oxen were in, in, into WWF wrestling, but that that's what it was. But they at, probably had their own WWF SmackDown every night in their basement. Oh my god! Hundred percent. That's amazing. For hundred percent. I will also say that's, one of the most important nights of my life, and Betsy was a part of it, was having dinner with Chevy Chase, Martin Short, Ricky Jay. 
Rebecca Pigeon and Stephen Martin at his. Ooh, home. Rebecca Pigeon. Yeah, I don't think Rebecca Pigeon was I'm, there. Was she? I, I'm almost positive she was at that dinner. Yes, I re- truly. I don't remember anything. Yeah, but uh, because of uh, Betsy's, uh, you know, friendship with uh, a certain individual, we were there. Well, one of those, one of those nice. individual. It had to be one of those people. Yeah. No, it was. It was it, it was Steve. It was Steve. Well, we loved Betsy. I don't remember what we ate. That was a fun night. Yes, it was. And and the only re- I remember the only reason I was allowed sort of to participate was that I had the intel on Eddie Murphy being arrested down the street from me the night before. I don't know if you remember this, Betsy, but Eddie Murphy got yeah. arrested for solicitation on the corner of Santa Monica and Formosa. And so those gentlemen wanted to hear from me any details about the neighborhood because my point was to them was. Uh, that's not where you pick up ladies. Yep, you had the skinny. I had the skinny. You always had the skinny. You always had the skinny. And and Steve Martin said to Martin Short, Marty, how would Catherine Hepburn feel about that information? And Martin Short went, <laughs> I just can't believe those ladies worked that corner or whatever it was. <laughs> anyway, a tremendous. I just remember. I remember. I remember that night. Steve and Marty just just riding Chevy like he was a fucking little brother. Yeah. Just just ganging up on him and giving him so much shit and just so knocking him down. Just not in a mean way. In like such a great. And then you find out legendarily what Chevy Chase is like, and then you're like, oh, that's fantastic. Well, I was sitting putting him in his place. I was sitting next to him at the dinner table, and I will say he turned to me at one point and in the with perfect comic timing said, Why are you here? <laughs> <laughs> but he but he wasn't mean. He was we we had a long conversation. He was he was super nice and yada yada. All right, lay another one on me. Let's keep rolling. All right. So we round this This out. is, I think, going to be our last okay. one, and then we're going to turn it over to you. Okay. And this last one, it's funny. Adrian's are all, like, clever and cute. Or the tone of our two are very different, and I just want to point that out. just think it's interesting that we're married. Anyway, so this is an important one because this, the reason I picked this is because this was the first album I was ever, ever given as a gift, which to me is a huge thing. It was the first time I received a gift because growing up in my house, everybody got albums that was what you got and like that's what you get a sibling and no one ever got me one because i was too little and this is kind of the sign that i had made it i was one of them i'd like you got into being a real person because i could get an album it was my brother chris uh-huh. in 1978 for my 12th birthday my brother chris gave me the album asia by steely dan <laughs> <laughs> oh this is great i, I can take off <laughs> ah, this is a super fun brando uh, and i'm going to choose uh from that album the song i want to play is i got the news and the reason is is because i got the news is not a song a lot of people know but it happens to be my favorite song off the album and i'm thinking there's a chance that adrian there's no chance adrian will like it i don't actually care but it probably it, it is a song that will really drive adrian crazy because it's got a lot of jazz in it Yes. So it'll really, he'll particularly really hate it. But I'm going to tell you a little bit about this, Adrian. You're going to like this. Ready? Asia is the sixth studio album by Shush. Sixth studio album by jazz rock band Steely Dan. It's released in September 1977. It was the band's first platinum album, eventually selling over 5 million copies. It received Grammy nominations for Album of the Year and Best Pop Performance for a duo or group of vocals. It's number 145 on Rolling Stone's Best 500 Albums of All Time. In retrospect analysis, 
Music journalist Credit Asia as an important release in the development of Yacht Rock. <laughs> and I bring that up because Brando knows how much I love Yacht Rock. Nearly 40 musicians played on the album, including saxophonist Wayne Shorter. And this track, I Got the News, which you're currently listening to, features backup vocals from Michael McDonald. Whoa. Of the Doobie Brothers. <laughs> The beauty of this format is that I don't have it in my ear right now. <laughs> I'm going to play this. I have this on. So the album my brother gave me, I still have, Brando. I still have the vinyl. And we just had our turntable hooked up, and that's going to get played tonight. <laughs> <laughs> From start to finish. And Adrian, you're going to have to hold. Start to finish. You're going to have to hold those lyrics and, and get to know them and love them. The other thing I would say, Betsy, it's very clear that your siblings trusted you with the record that you wouldn't scratch it as you had been scratching their records. Yes, so. <laughs> that's exactly right. I finally was grown up and I got to have my own. I was like, okay, you can be trusted. Here's your vinyl. And now, and to this day, I still have it. That's incredible. That's eBayable, by the way. I just want you to know if you need some coronavirus. Sticks Cornerstone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, wait. Do you have Sticks Cornerstone down there in the collection? From that time. Oh. I have, from my original albums, I have Breakfast America. I have Sticks Cornerstone. I've got that. I've got my Earth, Wind, and Fire. I've got Donna Summer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 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 From that time, I've got I've got a few, and I've got my Doobie Brothers. You have minute by uh, uh, what? Yeah, I've minute, minute, minute. minute by minute. Is that what the album's called? The one that has minute by minute, minute on it? I think it is. Minute by minute. Uh, Yacht Rock is just so. That's what I'm listening to these days as we trying to get through yeah. the, this pandemic. Just music that just turns your brain off, Adrian. You can just sit back. And enjoy the soft tones and the smooth jazz of Steely Dan. You know, it's not songs oh. about dragons and kings. It's not songs about getting girls. I don't even know what the songs are about. But yeah, uh, exactly. <laughs> it's, it's music to take a nap to. And that's what I love about it. I disagree. Yeah. I think it's music for the soul. <laughs> it feeds my soul. And I think you just have to have one yeah. to really like it. And that's part of Adrian's problem. That might be. Is he, he's too cynical for a song. Well, I will say this. I think that there's, I'm not saying Adrian's too young to appreciate Steely Dan, but here's my truth now. I hated Steely Dan in the late seventies, in the eighties, the nineties, Thank you. because it was everywhere on an FM station. It was everywhere in Pittsburgh. It was actually everywhere in Albuquerque. Uh, I've heard peg 48 billion times. Never liked them. But now that I've reached a certain age and I'm finding that I'm opening myself up to other things, I'm like, okay, yeah. Still I did. <laughs> just, just gotta be old enough to enjoy. <laughs> that that may have been the promo. Uh that may have been the promo for it back in the 70s. I don't know. But I'm just I'm finding rock and roll. I know, but I'm finding in later in life that I'm okay with Steely Dan. I'm okay with the Eagles. I, I, Thank you. <laughs> I'm okay. Me too. I'm okay with Billy Joel. I really am. You got to give it to him. Like some of that music stands the test of time, and you, you, hundred percent. I don't have to wear a Billy Joel. Preach, Brando, preach. I don't have to wear a Billy Joel T-shirt. I don't have to have a cool Steely Dan hoodie from the nineteen seventy nine tour. But you know, if they come on Sirius Radio Yacht Rock, I'm not turning it off. I'm like, huh? I like it. Why? Because Brando, maybe you've gotten to a point in your life where you're you don't have to be cool. And be like, I'm a music snob. I don't I'm like too, that. I'm stuff. too fat to the be way cool Adrian now. Wenner is. 
I'm too fat to be cool. Now. That's the best part of the problem. The the pandemic has the the gate the the weight that I've gained during this pandemic has removed all cool from me. So now I'm just a regular person floating out in the world, and I might like Steely Dan now. I'm glad you do, Steely Dan. Just get fat enough to like. Uh... <laughs> Steely Dan. Such a dick. When when you want to give up. Oh, you know my God. I'm gonna defend, and I'm also gonna say. I think it is a little bit, you wouldn't know Adrian was that much younger by how white his beard is right now, (laughs) but he is just enough younger that he doesn't really appreciate what Yacht Rock was and what that time was. I remember when the long run came out, I remember like what, what a huge impact that album had at the time. I remember like you and I, I almost put on this list, Gino Vanelli, Brando, because you know how I feel about Gino Vanelli. I I just just want to stop. I'll tell you what I feel yeah. about you, babe. I don't want to yeah. relitigate. <laughs> we, that was not the purpose of this. No, it wasn't. But you know, it no. it was it was about what was in the air when we were young, basically. And it was important to Betsy because that Asia was her first record, which is a big one. My first record. It was given. My first. Yeah, what was your first? My first record that I bought with my own money was Elton John's greatest hits where he's in the, the, the sort of the white suit on the piano bench. Oh, yeah. White oh, hat. yeah. Was, nice. And then my second record that I bought with my own money at the National Record Mart in the South Hills Village in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, was Casey and the Sunshine Band. The, oh, the, wow. the record that was all white and then had the Casey logo and like a rainbow kind of color up in the corner. Yeah. Uh, so I, I'm sure that all the hits were on that record, but yeah. God, I would not have, that was, those were your first two. Well, cause that's probably 74, 75. So, you know, I'm six and seven. Kiss has not hit me yet. Uh, and that's what, well, you know, you know, oh, your, your own son, I'm not outing him, but he loves Kiss FM, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So KC and the Sunshine Band was absolutely the equivalent of Kiss FM in 1975. I know we got to wrap up, but I, that but I have a quick question for you, Brada. What was what was Mama? What was Mom and Dad playing? Okay, it's a weird what one because uh, 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 Tom and Cheryl Smith uh, were not rockers. They were mid-century mainstream <laughs> Pittsburgh people. Uh, and so was it like Perry Como? Like what's going on? It was weird. It was weird. My dad liked Gregorian chants. Cleo, Cleo Lane, the Chieftains, and Queen. Both my brothers, Ryan and Liam Smith, would tell you that Tom Smith liked Queen. Uh, He he was not a rock and roll guy in any way, shape, or form. They had no rock records, but I think he liked the way that it sounded because the Queen sound was just a little stranger than anything else that was out there. So he had all the Queen eight tracks, and then both of them listened to oldies. They were still listening to 50s and 60s music in the house, but on the, the basically the Pittsburgh oldie station. Did you get any influence from from four week uh, foster kid? <laughs> yes. My, what was his my, name? I have no idea. My parents. Did he bring, uh, my did parents. He, my, well, right. Around the age of 10 or I don't know, I must have been maybe nine, eight or nine. My brother, my parents brought a foster child into the situation and uh, a very young Brendan Smith put the kibosh on that as fast as he possibly could. So I didn't, I don't remember his name. I just wanted him out. You basically treated that kid. You treated that kid like, like, like he had coronavirus. Aggressive little dick dog treats another dog at the dog yeah, park. Yeah, get out. You just barked it into a corner until it had to go. Well, he was or- he was older than me. So I was like, what are you fucking doing? Like, how dare you? Parents, are you insane? You're bringing in a, a kid who could technically take over the house because he's older than me? Are you out of your goddamn minds? 
So yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't even know if we made it a week with that. But I put the kibosh on that. Sorry, kid, wherever you are. And you don't know his name. I, I completely Dan. Let's just call him Dan. And you think it was a week? I remember that there were like spots that he would like come over to visit, and he would stay for the night. And then he'd be gone, and then he moved in. And then it was like, no, 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 no. Get him out. Get him out. <laughs> How dare you? What are you? You got three boys. Be happy. We're fine. What are they? I keep forgetting their names. Right. Don't don't help some kid. Oh, the Oster. Who were they? Osterhausens? Who were they? Oh, yeah. They, they, yeah. The, 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 the well, the Duggars had a million kids, but I, I know what you're saying. But uh, the two, no, the 12 kids. You said their name. Oh, the Oxen Riders. Oh, yeah. The, uh, yeah. Oxen yeah. Send Riders. them over to the Oxen Rider house. They won't even know he's he's living there. Just go in there and be there. That was like the that was like the the house in Caddyshack. Yeah. What's your name? <laughs> yeah, this you know when you're when you're in a just know just know I'm not sharing resources. Well, first of all, I didn't look at it from a Catholic perspective. I'm sure that's what my parents were doing. I didn't look at it like, oh no, they're doing a good thing. They're helping this kid out. No, here's a strange kid in my house. Get him the fuck out of here. <laughs> Brando, before we sign off, I just want I have a loop I want to close. Yes, tell me. Um, I want to know what happened to Kelly O'Toole because she's a figure you've talked about a lot in your life. She comes up as like the example when you're pitching in a writer's room of Kelly O'Toole's like, I, I basically picture her as like a young Jacqueline Smith. Even when she was, you know, a, yes, a, a young, a yes. young Mia Sarah from Ferris Bueller's Day Off, and she was a lot the, of play. She was she was the prototype girl, Kelly O'Toole. Uh, my first crush, the first girl I ever went around with, the girl that I would go ice skating rink uh, or ice skating with at the ice skating rink in Mount Lebanon. Uh, she was amazing. Divorce took me away from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Divorce took, oh. took us to Albuquerque. Oh. So that was a there was a large severing there. And then when Kelly O'Toole turned 25, I was told she was running a marathon. Uh, she crossed the finish line and she died. Oh, no. <gasps> that's what I was told. Holy shit. I'm not, I'm not, wow. I'm not, uh, if there's anyone from St. Bernard's who's listening to this podcast, if you want to reach out to me via Facebook or Twitter, but I do believe that that's the story. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Wow. What a great out. <laughs> hey, you've been listening to the Brando cast. I want to thank my dear friends and my future housemates, Bethy Thomas and Adrian. Winner. <laughs> yeah, it's the truth. Oh. <laughs> we had a pleasure, Brando. We had a well, pleasure. Well, I when are we gonna have cocktail hours? It's 346. I've already had two Chardonnays. So whenever you want. Okay, well I I love I'm on COVID. <laughs> COVID time. Who gives yeah, a shit? Who gives a shit? I agree. I, what day is it? I have no idea what day it is. I really don't. There's only light and dark and staying inside. But I love both of you dearly. I cannot wait for the day when we can do this in person. Uh, and I want to thank you guys for putting up with the technology behind uh, Squadcast that allows us to at least see each other while we're doing this, because I think that, that helps. But you guys are both the best. I'm going to pick a song to play us out with. I'm going to pick a song from my childhood that I hear when I hear in the background. Every time I hear the song in the background, it soothes me. It soothes me like a baby. I think that's because it was a giant hit in the year that I was born. It is "Happy Together" by the Turtles. Always mellows me out. That's good. I had uh, I had that forty-five also. That was on my little stack. Just so you know. Fantastic. <laughs> Fantastic. All right. I love you both. I will see you soon. All right. Until the next time, cats and kittens. We'll be back again 
on the Brando cast. If I should call you up, invest a dime, and you say you belong to me, lose my mind. Imagine how the world could be so very fine, so happy together.